Hi everyone, I just wanted to thank you for joining me with this video again today. And I'm delighted that joining me is Nikita Hunue, which uh, hopefully I've pronounced that reasonably well. Um, and we're gonna talk about mental health. And Nikita has talked very, very openly about her own challenges over the last few years with her mental health, with, um, with suicide attempts, with depression. And really I found Nikita quite inspiring personally, as I've gone through my own challenges. And when uh, she did a, a, a talk at work, uh, which was broadcast live across the whole bank, talking about what she'd been through. And uh, I don't think there was a, a dry eye in, in, the, in the room, let alone the virtual room after we'd gone through that. But it, I found it quite an inspirational story. But also, uh, for me, it was a story about recovery, right? And it was about getting back to where uh, she wanted to be and realized that she wanted to be. And it was great for her to help other people. I know that, that Nikki, you've offered to help a lot of people. You've really helped me over the last year with my own challenges with depression and anxiety as well. And, and thank you for that. Um, but I thought it'd be great for us to maybe share some thoughts that others who weren't in the bank, who weren't uh, listening to that talk could actually benefit from. And, um, and particularly now we're back into a lockdown uh, as we record this and we're in winter so short days it it's it's usually the worst time for mental health anyway and it's compounded with a lot of other worries that people have in their life so i just want to kind of throw a few questions and then we'll just see where the conversation goes if that's okay but welcome thank you for joining me thank you so much for having me mike um it's an honor and i'm, I'm really glad we're doing this because as you say i think the more we start talking about these things the more we make it common ground and we make it easier to talk about it so very happy to be here fantastic so why don't we just start off with a just a simple question what is mental health is it does mental health mean you have a problem should you treat your mental health is mental health always bad no no so um mental health is different for everyone and everyone has it so i think that's the, the first myth to bust is mental health isn't bad it's a case of constant flux and you need to as an individual identify where your mental health sits and it's kind of like weight there's no ideal weight for everyone and it's different based on your own individual desires based on your own individual time of life it's it's going to be in constant flux the key is to monitor it be aware of it and act upon it um, and really have a look at how your life is evolving, how the things and circumstances around you are evolving and how that suits you. So you might not want to be um, trained as an athlete all year round. You might have certain areas where you need to focus on it and other areas where you're going to go, I'm, I'm actually going to relax my physical health um at certain points in time in the year and i think the same concepts need to start being applied more rigorously to how we approach our mental health but what's your thoughts on it i know we've talked about mental health and physical health and their interrelationships and both for ourselves and for other people quite regularly and our thoughts on the matter have evolved so what's your thoughts on it well i think i mean i agree i think the problem is that people when you think about health most people immediately think about, oh, I've got a cold or, you know, I've got maybe a, a tummy bug or, or something like that. And then you think about when you talk about physical issues, people may think about a sprained ankle or a broken leg or things like that. But as soon as you say mental health, people say, oh, you're crazy. Right. And, it, and it's and you think, no, mental health is just a way of describing the health of my head. 
in, and and my brain and my soul and it's no different really than describing the health of your body and i loved a a, a quote from one of our colleagues on another talk he did internally that you know, medication is for the body as meditation is for the mind you know you have to treat your mind and your brain and your soul with as much respect as you might treat your body if you think i'm i'm piled on a few more pounds i'm getting quite unfit i'm going to do something about it but you, you need to think about your mental health the same way it's like i'm feeling a bit i mean look i'm feeling a bit down it's a sort of generic term why am i feeling down i need to do something about it the one thing that i think is different between mental health and physical health is that when you have a, a physical health issue it can be quite visible to others Right? So you could be staggering around because you sprained your ankle or you've got a cast on because you've broken your leg or you're sneezing constantly because you've got a cold or um, you, know, you might have corona or, or, or whatever it may be. But if you've got a mental health issue, uh, I think because partly because there's been a stigma associated with it for such a long time, and, and we'll, we'll sort of delve into that a bit later, I think, and partly because it's physically it doesn't necessarily immediately manifest itself people don't know and, and so you can't it's not as obvious and so i think that there and, and also it could only be once once a week it could be on monday morning you feel bad because maybe the cause of your uh depression or your stress or your anxiety is going to work at the beginning of a week or it could be every thursday when you have a, a big team meeting and you don't like being in big environments like that or it could be whatever right there could be a trigger that could be a every week or every month. And so it may not be something that is always bothering you uh, mm -hmm. constantly. So there isn't this persistent symptom. Because if you think about um, a physical health, if you if you had, so if you had a pain in your side for a week or two weeks or whatever, you'd probably go to a doctor and say, you know, I've got, I've got a pain in my side and I've, been, I've had it for two weeks. And oh, well, let's have a look at that and see what that is. And um, if you had a, if you felt anxious once a week or once a month you might not necessarily feel that as a trigger to do something about it as well but i do think the the point that you made about mental health is different for everyone mental health issues are different for everyone is really key because nobody people tend to react the same way if you break your leg right it's it's really painful and the treatment's the same Right, they sort of glue it back together again, basically, in a simplistic term, or they get your body to kind of like knit it all back together again. If you're suffering from anxiety or depression, the treatment is unlikely to be the same for every human. Right? Yeah. There'll be different triggers, there'll be different causes, and there'll be different reactions. Some people just need to talk about it and support and counseling, and they and they may be at a point where they are able to just leverage that to sort of drag them back up to a level of normality whatever that is some people like myself frankly might need to have medication and a bit more intervention with professional um counselors and therapists but it's it's it varies quite a lot so sorry i've kind of like prattled on a lot about what what i think but that's sort of really what i think is that mental health is not bad mental health is everything we have mental health we have physical health we need to be aware of mental health as much as we are our physical health but we need to probably monitor for longer than we do in in just the physical space and i had this book these, these things actually i got on my desk 
um, this this mind journal, which which actually I I uh, was was one of those kind of Instagram clickbait things where it said you know men have mind journal and you can write things down. But I found that uh, personally really useful. It's not actually in here. This is an empty box because it came in a box and I can't find the journal at the moment. But th this is this is the box it came in, and it you know the, for me it was I wrote things down to actually work out what the cause of my anxiety and, and, and issues were. And that really helped me then understand how to move forward. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm gonna sort of stop talking about this particular topic, but I will kind of ask you another one, which is, you know, at the moment, right, we're all working from home. And I think that we will likely have to work from home or, or work remotely for a lot longer. I did another another video on resilience where we talked about personal resilience and community resilience and then the sort of corporate resilience with Ben Bowers and with Toby Kent. And and it was one of the things that we really explored there was that you you can't humans are social as a social species, right? We can't really we don't do well when we're stuck by ourselves in a room. Um, in the same room without leaving it and maybe in the same environment with the same kind of pattern of, of, of what's going on. COVID through necessity has forced us to not just to work from home or work remotely where we're able to do so, but actually not go out mm -hmm. and not participate in, in an actual community anymore, whether that community was work, whether that community was at home with your friends and family, whether it was a community of people you went to play golf with or go running with or book clubs or just people you see on the train every day and you got friendly with and just sort of chatted to uh, on the way in or pops the pub on the way home or whatever it may be right all that's gone so the support networks have gone so i think for me there clearly has to be a a thought that coronavirus or covid has made things more challenging for identifying and treating mental health issues but more broadly, it's probably reinforced that humans as a species may not do well with change, uh, rapid change and forced change, and that has an impact on mental health. What do you think? I mean, does change impact mental health? Has COVID made things worse? So, absolutely. I mean, if you consider COVID, I think it, it did a, it was a bit of a whirlwind for everybody um, across the globe. And I think also the fact that everyone was going through some level of change as a result of COVID had a massive impact. And of course, everybody's busy trying to kind of deal with that, which is in some ways quite helpful because you can talk to other people about it and express yourself about it. And there's a level of common understanding which I think was quite helpful for many, many people because they were able to have a bit of a winch, whether it was a case of finding that work-life balance, which I think I'll dive into in more detail, but I'll, I'll leave that for now. But also it's a case of having that more common understanding of the challenges that we're all busy facing and the different perspectives. And people were open to those different perspectives because there was, there was that broad recognition that things are changing rapidly. We're all going to have to be a little bit more tolerant, a little bit more understanding and offer a little bit more support to other people as we went through this transition. But I think one of the things, and it kind of relates back to your previous question, 
is on what is mental health. I think the other thing is we were pretty good at understanding that we were going to need to recognize this. What we as humans don't tend to be pretty good at is being vulnerable and airing our vulnerabilities. And I think that's one of the key things that I certainly struggled with. And I mean, I'll be very honest in saying I was incredibly protective of the fact that I was struggling with mental health. I didn't want anyone to know about it. And I was paranoid about people finding out. Um, and I think that's pretty common in terms of struggling with mental health because there is still the perception that mental health is bad. And therefore, I think we keep it quite close to our hearts. We tend only to confide in those people that we trust with our lives. And the reality is that those generally aren't the people that can help us. We have to get the message out more broadly, make more common knowledge for people to help us in our everyday lives. Because the people that are closest to us, be it our friends, be it our family, they're generally not the people that have influenced over a lot of the stresses that we're going to encounter in our lives. So for us to, to be able to get over that hurdle and recognize ourselves that we're struggling with mental health, we have to put it out into a common domain and say, look, I'm, I'm really struggling. Be as open and, and vulnerable as you can in saying, this is what I'm struggling about and divulge as much or as little information as you feel comfortable to do. But try push your boundary on that because when other people have that best understanding of what it is you're dealing with, they tend to be more tolerant. The, the fear or the attacks tend to come from a lack of understanding, a lack of knowledge about it. And if you just kind of shutting yourself off, isolating and, and kind of pushing everyone away, they have no understanding. So therefore it's going to be a case of, are you just lazy? Are you just not willing to engage? Are you just rude? Um, and meantime, you, you're busy trying to kind of stop yourself from having a full-blown breakdown, but you're paranoid that someone's going to find out, so you're not letting them know. And I think the same thing then relates to COVID, how because we were all going through it, we were going, oh, let's be a little bit more understanding. Someone's got kids, they're trying to work from home, school at home, be mum, dad, and teacher all at the same time. They're trying to balance having a good meal on the, the stove. And potentially worrying a lot about their own family and friends being yeah. by this virus as well. Absolutely. I mean, it, it had massive impacts across the board that just rippled through. Um, but I think also it was a case of people expecting themselves to be superhuman. So there was a time when work life was work life and you would give your 110% there and then you'd get home and you'd give your 110% there and you're expected to, to have this really, you know, well worked out balance. And I think one of the things that COVID's given us is an opportunity to reset our balance and say to ourselves, am I giving enough to my friends, to my family and to my work, but am I also giving enough to myself or have I put myself in the back burner and kind of gone, I'm not gonna focus on it because everybody else needs 110% for me. And so it, I think it's given us a unique opportunity to set your own boundaries, to make sure that you do 
put in a work-life balance. So one of the, the conversations I was having with someone quite recently is around if you were to have a meeting in your diary that your boss had put in at five o'clock, you'd dial in and you would be there on time without any doubt. You know, and you you would make sure that you were ready for that meeting. Now, what if I were to ask you to put a meeting in for yourself at six o'clock for close of day, where you shut down your laptop and you go make some dinner or cuddle the kids or go for a run or close your working day? Would you feel comfortable with that? And would you actually be willing to, to go through that and treat that meeting with it as much priority and rigor as you would a meeting from your boss? And then lastly, if I were to say it, that meeting didn't come from you, but it came from your boss, so they put an end of day meeting in your diary, would suddenly that be more of a priority, more acceptable? And so it goes to this question of how much autonomy do you have, but also how much respect for yourself do you have? And maybe if you you're not finding that balance between work life and home life and end of day and start of day and it's all getting a bit blurred maybe put that meeting in place just like an attendant just like you would if it came from your boss because the reality is if you keep pushing yourself at 110 percent and expecting yourself to be always on for work and always on for family and always on for everyone else and you haven't taken the time to renew yourself you will crash at some point it'll be sustainable for a short period and you'll have ebbs and flows but eventually you will crash and then you're no good to anyone not your friends not your family not for work and whether it's a day sat in bed or two days or a week or three months if things get really bad the impact of that is so much worse than you just maintaining good rigor and focus on yourself and going actually I'm, I'm going to have that meeting in my diary I'm going to shut my laptop there's something really urgent pops up I'm sure someone will give me a ring and then you can attend to it but the chances are most things are not that critical don't need to be attended to at eight nine ten o'clock at night and I can't wait till tomorrow I, I love that um and uh you know I start a new job tomorrow yeah. so uh you know I, i've got to meet the teams and everything but i'd love to love the idea of putting something in everyone's calendar and saying you know like a 7 p.m meeting saying why are you still working you know just yeah. to remind people to that there's there is no expectation that people are working 24 7 it's people have to log off people have to wash work off them particularly on those difficult days yeah. and create that work-life balance and and i think that you know where we have the luxury of boxing ourselves into our own office space like like looks like you do and, and i do here and you know it's it's um it's great to be able to do that but if you're not if you're just sat in a bedroom or in a kitchen or in a shared space trying to work all hours and then that area becomes sort of poisoned a little bit because there's no blur, no difference, no difference between work and life then, because you're working in your life environment. Whereas I can take myself out of my work environment and, and walk through that door and it's life um, as well and, and, and personal life. 
I think that it's interesting when you think about this location independent of the different types of roles that we have as well. So if I'm in a UK bank uh, dealing with larger European based staff and, and colleagues and stakeholders, I can work, a, 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 like say, nine to five in a, in a, in a sort of slightly ironic because it's never nine to five, it's whatever it needs to be, which is part of the problem. But anyway, let's say a normal nine to five day, so I can do that. But if I'm now um, part of a global organization or, a, or where we've embraced the global nature of an operating model to be able to staff up support centers um, to get 24 by seven support or follow a son, whatever it may be, we find people now working shifts and if you think about our support functions that we have in the cyber area or in technology support or an op support, you know, there are people working 24 by seven with eyes on glass monitoring key systems and there to be able to respond if needed. And how do we deal with that? Cause all of a sudden and call centers, you know, we have our contact contact centers for our, for our customers. You know, how do we deal with that? How do we get now some, some, somebody who's sitting out in, in Chennai, and they're, they're part of our contact centers. So they're on 24 by seven coverage. So if someone in the middle of the night in the UK needs to speak to someone about fraud on their car, there's actually someone that picks up the phone. They're actually sat at home in the middle of the night, trying to be quiet because they've got their, their family trying to sleep around them and their, you know, their children potentially in a room, hopefully not a shared room, but it could be you know, in a room somewhere and, and, and working and that must be even more challenging than some of the challenges we have about just logging off at the end of the day. Actually, someone's trying to not wake up their family as they're working through the night. And I know that we could probably pick loads of these sort of examples as well. I think the other thing is, you know, you talked about the heroics at the start of COVID and the lockdowns. And I've talked about that in a few other videos and blog posts I've done, particularly around location independent working and how um, we've been able to do things in weeks that were scheduled for months or years, or we've been dragging our heels, particularly where it comes to collaboration tool rollout and things like like embracing Zooms and video technology, which hasn't necessarily been a technology issue. It's been uh, a people issue wanting to use the, the, te the, te the technology and actually having cameras on, right, I think is a massive step, um, which I think is in itself a bit of a trigger. And we can sort of come back to maybe that when we talk about I'd like to kind of explore what what sort of triggers can we look for? What sort of um, indicators are there that someone might be struggling? But um, we spent months going through this at the start of lockdown, thinking that this was maybe only going to last a few months and then we'd be coming into summer and everything would be okay. And obviously we've had, certainly in the UK, we're on our third lockdown but in between lockdowns, we've essentially had lockdowns, but just called them restrictions of different tiers, et cetera. But parts of the UK, it's just been a lockdown the entire way through. And um, when you, the dust settles on the heroics and pulling in your 18 hour days to be able to achieve an outcome, which is right for your colleagues or for your customers. And you do that every day of the week. And then you sort of stop. And I think particularly around our, our, our NHS and other key workers that have had that, that are just having, I mean, they are the true heroes, and they still are the true heroes through this, this pandemic. But you know, it's even worse for them, I would say, because there has been no 
it's been relentless for them right there's been no no opportunity for them to to raise their head and i do think that the, the combination of the heroics the long hours that people have worked all of the i think all of the hours people work the stress people worked and the inevitable upset of working in a in an icu or in a hospital where people are passing away as we know sadly through this this horrible virus that that's going to leave scars emotional scars mental health issues ptsd which started off being associated with uh veterans returning from from warfare and and now it's really people that have suffered these significant emotional issues and mental stresses will be coming back with PTSD and flashbacks. And we're, we're kind of starting to get to a point where we have to acknowledge mental health issues publicly. We have to break the stigma down even more. And I think it's getting better, right? It's still not where it is, but it's getting better because we are going to need to provide a lot of support for our work colleagues, for our families and our friends and for a society globally that's become maybe this is the woke moment now for mental health right is people have become much more aware of mental health issues and so we're going to have to provide the right support for people and, and i think that you know as we move into location independent working as being much more embedded and i think habitually we've formed a habit as a society globally now to work remotely and we've shown it can work right the the the, the companies that have in, have put it in place to sustain like i just look at banks right because that's familiar to us financial services it's not been easy but it's been not as difficult as everyone thought it was going to be to actually work this way and and there's a habit has formed now because we've been doing this for nearly a year where we haven't had to go to to an office and even before that we had dynamic working in place so that if you all turned up to work at the same time you wouldn't have enough seats because we we wanted people to uh, have hot desking to we acknowledge that people didn't need to be in the office every day we acknowledge that most people's days in the office were sat at their desk on a video conference or a phone that they could be anywhere in the planet doing as well so a lot of that has has changed now and then as i explored in this other video on resilience what do we need to do to support people now and how do we actually force people to help themselves so maybe there's no lockdown anymore. People can go out and 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 have their community support in their running group, whatever it may be. But they're still stuck at home, working in a in a, in maybe a what's become their sort of dark room of stress. If there if it is that's work that's causing that, and so there's something that we need to do there. And so there's different triggers. I mean, I think that there's different triggers that cause people to feel stressed and depressed and anxious, and I, I guess it'd be interesting to get your personal experience on on what your triggers were. From my perspective, you know, I kind of ended up, you know, it, mine was a much more, per, it wasn't work, it doesn't stress me, it never stressed me, all right? Me, it was much more of a personal issue. And, and, I, and I talked about anxiety buckets and I made this video on anxiety buckets. So I drew things with crayons, which, um, which I quite enjoy doing. I'm good with crayons. Uh, it's one of my best things. Uh, I'm good at is crayon drawing and stick figures. Good at that as well. Anyway, that's probably a whole separate topic and I'll set up an Etsy store one day with my crayon and I stick figures drawing crayons. But you know, for me, it was probably that that trigger was actually the bucket filling up. Whereas I've been over decades, as in my case, um, being able to keep 
gradually filling the bucket up with anxiety with my anxiety and then all of a sudden it was like and it overflowed and so it wasn't necessarily a, a trigger it was a build up and then the trigger in its sense was probably just an overflowing now you could deconstruct that probably and, and and codify that a bit more but in a simplistic term i just ran out of bucket and um and it overflowed and then medication made my bucket deeper than i could actually start to deal with everything and now my bucket's got capacity I keep saying bucket, it becomes a weird word, but it's, it, it, that was kind of my personal experience. What about you? Do you, do you? What was your own personal experience and what are your thoughts on, on others? I think first I'm, I'm going to step back a little bit and you were talking about kind of the situation of COVID and dealing with it in crisis and PTSD and that type of thing. And I think there are a couple of things to recognize here about how the human body works. And I'm, I'm no expert, but I've um, attended a number of different talks, I've done a lot of research now, and I think one of the key things we have to bear in mind is what dealing with crisis looks like for the body. So as humans, we're very good at dealing with crisis and kind of forgetting our, our needs as humans during that, that period where we need to evade, escape, um, and, and essentially survive. And I'll brains and our bodies are very good at throwing a bit of adrenaline and going okay you're not going to get ill now because I realize you're just going through a crisis you're not going to feel the pain now because you're going through a crisis but once everything starts to simmer down and get back to normal so to speak or at least it's a little bit easier for you to deal with and things kind of get back to an even plane your body then goes right by the way you were ill you've got a bunch of different aches and pains that you've not addressed by the way your, your mind's in a really bad place and it all kind of hits you at once when you're in that stable state so to speak where you can deal with it and many many people aren't very good at recognizing that and i for one certainly wasn't so i went through a period of over 18 months of having 13 people pass away through various different tragic accidents at various different stages through those 18 months and it wasn't one traumatic event and I think for me I was really good at putting something into a nice little box going I'll deal with that when I'm in a better place and have more time to focus on it and slopping it into a shelf the trouble was when I kept having another box that I needed to put something in and slot it into the shelf the shelf wanted to topple over and it did eventually um but i essentially wasn't dealing with the thing that had just happened i was dealing with everything that had happened over 18 months and more for that matter because there were other things in my my life that i hadn't dealt with and it, it all kind of comes together and eventually falls over but i think i, I first want to touch on the point you raised regarding ptsd PTSD is in many ways exactly that, where your body suddenly relaxes, goes, oh, by the way, you've got all this that you need to deal with. And so you have flashbacks and you have these moments where you're suddenly facing that thing that you haven't dealt with, that thing that you're still struggling with, the thing that your mind hasn't been able to make sense of. And I think we're going to experience a lot of that over the coming months, especially um, as we start to get out of COVID and we get more people vaccinated and, and things start to calm down. 
and especially in the medical industry, because they have been in a state of crisis. They've been looking after various people coming in, the hospital beds have been full, they've been busy. And when you're busy, you tend not to notice these things and you tend to be able to get through it. But when you suddenly have that calm, peaceful moment or you manage to book yourself some leave, it all comes crashing down. Um, and I think the first things to do is if you have gone through a state of change like COVID and it's been really rough on you, start writing it down because your brain will kick in later and say, oh, by the way, there's all the stuff that you haven't written down. So you're still trying to remember, you're still trying to process and make sense of. And if you're able to start writing these things down earlier, it makes dealing with it a lot better. You mentioned journaling and having that book. I think that's a really, really good start, but it's, it's something we should all do. And I mean, I don't have a journal. I've got my phone because I don't find journaling convenient because I'm not carrying that book around with me the whole time while I am carrying this. So I send myself notes all the time and rambles and I have conversations with fans and people on my phone. Um, but it, it's my way of then having it and having those reflections there so I don't need to remember it. And it does help reduce um, PTSD. It does help reduce the stress and anxiety and it stops your brain trying to remember it all as well. So then you can start to actually process what's on that piece of paper rather than trying to remember every nuance of that event. Um, so that's one thing is we will probably see a lot more PTSD coming out of this, whether that looks at those working in the health services or whether we're just talking about people who have had to make changes in their life to be able to deal with COVID. But I think something else I'd like to talk about is a concept that I learned from my psychologist, which was three pillars or a tripod. And what she got me to understand was I wasn't dealing with one big event. For some people, it's one big traumatic event that kind of gets their shelf to topple over or their tripod to topple over. With me, it was multiple different aspects. Um, and that tends to be the case. And to explain the tripod, what it essentially is, is if you consider one pillar to be friends and family, one pillar to be work or whatever sustains you your day-to-day -day life and the third one being your purpose and if you think about that as a tripod and if you think about then the things that are happening within each of those pillars of your tripod you're generally pretty stable if one tripod is having a little bit of turbulence in it and your tripod will continue to stand and you can work around it and you can continue but if you start finding two or more of those, those pillars are somewhat under attack or you have turbulence in them and you're struggling with issues in them, that's where it starts to get more serious. But often what we will do is go dismiss something because it, it seems quite small in one pillar and dismiss something because it seems quite small in one pillar. And when it starts spreading across all three, 
then you start feeling really down and really depressed and you start going through your isolation stage and saying that you're really warm people to know I'm going to isolate because I'm feeling vulnerable which is a common psychology because we, we like to protect what we don't yet understand and we like to protect what makes us feel vulnerable so therefore we start to isolate and that's the worst thing you can really do because if you haven't yet understood those things, you're not going to understand them much better um, if you continue to ignore it and shelve it. You're not going to understand it if you're not talking to anyone about it because you're only thinking from your perspective as opposed to a broader perspective. Um, and so all these things start to play into it and can cause your tripod to topple. So what I'd say is that if anyone's struggling um, and you're just feeling a bit depressed, occasionally start to write it down um, in one way or another just so that one you can help your brain understand it and say what is this reoccurring thing or potentially not reoccurring thing but there'll be a theme that emerges if you keep writing these things down to say let me help myself in understanding it let me unburden my brain by not having to remember it and thirdly let me reflect on it and see if there's something that emerges as a common theme, a commonality amongst it. And then if you start feeling, actually, this is really quite, you know, I'm really going through a bit of a, a dark time, a low time, a difficult time, that is the point at which you need to go actually talk to people. Because if at that point you don't know exactly what you need to do to fix it, the likelihood is you're not going to. Yeah. You need that external support, external engagement, external perspective in order to start addressing the matter. Um, and I know you and I have gone through the concepts of three pillars and journaling and the importance thereof before. And I mean, what's your experience of the benefits of journaling? Yeah, I mean, I mentioned at the beginning, I actually used one called Dalio, which is on my phone. So I could just, you know, write, write uh, stuff down on the go. Um, the reason why this this <laughs> empty box with the journal, which I do know where it is, it's just here. I'm going to lean down just so I can look at the people. Is, is it on the floor? I'm still here. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, so it's a proper book with paper, and some people like it. And if you go through it, what this does is it this has a very similar approach to the app. So it sort of has like, you know, how do you feel questions, and you can tick. Yeah. And then it has, you know, what are your achievements, intentions? What are you grateful for? What's your, what's your happy hour? And, and what, what I like about the way this is structured, which is similar in the way to most of the apps are, is it just kind of gets you to think consistently and it starts to get you to run mind exercises, um, which forces you to really dig a little deeper than you would if you just presented with a blank piece of paper. And so journaling for some people could just be write, write notes to yourself uh, but some people might need the structure. I needed the structure to just help me thematically find, like mine the data to find stuff. Um, but whatever happens, I think writing stuff down disarms it. Writing stuff stuff down, talking about stuff disarms it, right? I think you, you know, when we talk about uh, you, what, what, do you, what do you do to help overcome your mental health issues? We talked about treatment and some people like that. Journaling writing stuff down, disarming it, 
making a note of it, looking for patterns, trying to help understand what it is, talking about it, talk, 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 talk. I opened up, um, inspired by you, frankly, and I don't mean to embarrass you. Um, well, I don't mind embarrassing you, it's a bit fun. But it's, uh, I, don't, I don't mean to, to, to kind of make you feel uncomfortable about it, but you know, basically uh, inspired by, by you and, and where you'd started your journey of recovery, not wanting anyone to know what was going on and where you've ended your well I don't think any of us will ever finish our journey but where you are on your journey at the moment which is a, a significant uh leap in recovery where you are openly talking about very personal challenges and I'm seeing it help other people and it's helping me inspired by that I decided to not try and hide um what I've been going through I tried to treat it like a broken head which is the concept you have right broken head if you went to, if you wouldn't go to work with a broken untreated leg why are you going to work with a broken untreated head and that's essentially the way i was dealing with it was that honesty and when i opened up to people at work or my friends and opening up was difficult because we were starting to get into this covid stuff but it was also difficult because it's personal you not we're not and, and you know frankly as as a man and this is something which men are really really bad at which is talking honestly and openly about their feelings because we don't have bad feelings and ah and all that sort of bravado nonsense right which we've had sort of years and years and years of of building up this this perception that men can't be weak men can't cry and all that nonsense right and and and, and I love the work that charities like Movember are doing to try to break down that that stigma and that barrier encouraging people to talk about their mental health issues, but also talking about general physical health issues, like you know, check your balls for lumps and um, and go to see a doctor if you're getting specific symptoms. Make sure you get your PSA checked on a regular basis so that you 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 can treat prostate cancer sooner rather than later. But what I was surprised by was how many people that I spoke to opened up back to me, right? And and I and I. I, I was surprised because they never felt they, I mean, they were surprised that I, that I had my own struggles, but I was surprised by their struggles because they never seemed to me like the sort of person that would have a, a mental health issue. Obviously I know myself reasonably well, so I could say, well, you know, I kind of understand why, so it makes sense, blah, blah, blah. For for them, you just see the, the veneer, the facade of what you see. And, and we don't, because we're not good at sort of sharing personal secrets and we might bury it under this facade which by the way is is a really bad thing to do as we keep coming back to because it just festers and gets worse but people come back to me and say oh well you know thank you for sharing and i wanted to say you know i, I went through this x years ago or i'm going through this right now or i've i've, ha I've been on medication for years and seeing therapists for years for you know, systemic depression, depression, or whatever it may be. And, um, and I found that personally quite encouraging, because particularly like yourself, people that have gone through this really, really low patch, but actually come out the other side, and they come out the other side stronger, and more resilient, more mentally resilient to deal with things. And so the the disarming of it to start with and sharing and talking and writing down and identifying the triggers and the pain points really not being afraid to get professional help 
there, there was certainly, I think, in my mind, a stigma or perception that if you're going to see a psychiatrist or a shrink, you're one step away from getting in, in one of those, those straight jackets and a padded room, right? Yeah. And the same with, with therapy. And in reality, you go to a gym for physical health and fitness. We don't generally do anything for our mental health in terms of fitness. And there are a number of companies and charities that are setting up mental health gyms and things like that. And, and we have regular physicals. We go and say, I'm going to go and have my, because I'm over 40 years old, only just clearly only over 40 years old, you know, I'm, I can get my annual physical now. And, and, uh, and that's to make sure that if there's anything kind of eating away at me that we, we've got, we can catch it and do something about it and da 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 da. Uh, intervention is there if it's needed. We don't have a, an annual mental health checkup so one of the things i will do is you know once i'm i won't say fully recovered once i feel that the time is right to kick medication all that sort of stuff and we're getting better is i would love to have therapy on a regular basis just to have that that mental health checkup and tune up and just check in and so someone who's trained in stuff right can actually say to me how are you doing and blah 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 and let's drill into these areas that I know is a is a is a hotspot for you and 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 just explore how I'm doing because I might lose my objectivity which I think I have at the moment because of everything I've gone through and, and I do want to continue to do some sort of journaling as well although you know I'm not very good at that but I I think that you know for me it's it's been really important but it's just part of starting the journey of overcoming mental health issues was writing things down and and then you kind of have to find other things that make you better as well like professional help but did you did you i mean did you find other things when you were going through your recovery that were really helpful for you as, as part of your recovery i mean i think first to say that um i feel stronger now than i ever have before um and i can honestly say that i am stronger now than i ever was before and i think it's it's that classic situation of experience. Having now gone through it, I understand myself far, far better and I understand the things that were busy eating away at me that I was really good at denying and not recognizing and saying, I'm fine. Um, and I was really good at saying that outwardly as well. So when people would offer help, because they, they are bits where people start to recognize a change in your behavior. And so they might offer delicately some support, but when you're really good at maintaining a professional facade and saying, I'm fine, it's absolutely fine, I'll get through, um, you're almost not listening to that offer for help anymore. You're not listening to what people are saying. And it does start to, to draw away from your ability to connect with an individual as well. And I mean, back in the day, when when I was growing up, the only time you would hear about someone going to a shrink or a psychotherapist, as we affectionately refer to it, was when you had gone absolutely psycho and you were bouncing off the walls. Um, and it essentially, what, it was a case of they'll get committed, no one will ever hear from them again, and no one will ever talk about them again. Um, and, and that was the perception, at least, 
for me growing up. So openly admitting that I'm now regularly going to see a shrink, or at least I was, and now I quite openly want to go and have a mental health checkup and tune up on a regular basis, you know, whether it be every six months or at least an annual checkup, I think that's just a healthy thing to do. And I'm, I'm mindful of the fact that a lot of these perceptions come from the fact that until very recently, um, it was illegal to commit suicide. There, was, there wasn't just a stigma against it, it was unlawful. And so it's a case of everybody and the culture catching up with the fact that these things happen, people do get depressed, people do go down this route, but if we intervene early on, it's a lot easier to deal with. And I think one of the things I try and encourage people to do is recognize the fact that often if you shelving things, you don't know about it. You don't, you're not actually consciously aware that you're busy doing that. And to have someone just having a general conversation with you who's a trained professional, they're really good at going, what are the things that you protect the of that other people won't pick, pick up? And they're really good at going through kind of basic timelines and identifying the bits that you potentially but vulnerable about. And those are generally the things that you're going, I've shelved, I don't want to talk about it. Um, or I'm not ready to talk about it. And by having that annual checkup and someone just poking at it a little bit going, you know, this is a safe environment, it's not going to go anywhere. It's a situation where you can actually count on the support that they're giving you because they trained in it. And you know it's not going to have negative implication on them either. Because one of the things I felt is I didn't want to talk to other people because I had reached a state where I felt I was a burden anyway. Um, I felt I was the problem and I felt that I was the, the, the common denominator in all these things going wrong. So I certainly didn't want to tell other people about it because otherwise more things would go wrong. Um, but what I failed to recognize, and that's the message I really want to get out, is start really early. The day that you're feeling a little bit down or you feel like you're a little bit overlooked or you're a little bit angry or upset or whatever it may be, that's the point at which you should be addressing it. Um, and you should be writing it down, talking to as many people as you can, getting different perspectives, just kind of making it common ground as much as you possibly can. Not doing what I did, which is, oh, nice little box, let's shove that in the shelf again. <laughs> I had a whole rack of them, they were great. Covering barbed wire and... Exactly, very prickly box, no one can touch it. <laughs> um, but it, it got to that circumstance, and I think, so that's the first thing is to say, you know, start early because you probably don't recognize that you've got a whole shelf filled already um, and all it starts taking is a few additional things to start toppling your your tripod but for me I think there, there are a number of things that I started doing bearing in mind that I had I had left this far 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 too long um, I you know had I gone back I would do things very differently in hindsight but I'm a lot stronger now because once you you kind of hit rock bottom you can only really build upwards and that's what I, I was lucky enough to do was to one I started actually 
um, accessing a little bit more help. Okay, so I started recognizing the fact that I did need professional help. And that was a massive step for me because according, in my mind, seeking professional help was for people who had come back from war-torn zones. It was for someone who was about to go bouncing off a wall. Um, and someone said to me, how it, it can't get any worse. You're thinking about topping yourself. Where's the limit then? How does it get worse from there? Um, and so that was a key point in turning around for me is recognizing the fact that I, I did need professional help and no one could make me get it but me. It was more difficult than it should have been to obtain. But, you know, I think that's a key thing. Tell as many people as you can. One of them will help you to get that professional support if you really do want it and you seek it. Two is journal, write it down understand it give you time to give your brain time to reflect on it and actually understand what it is you're dealing with because you might think you understand all the components your brain's probably trying to remember all the different nuances um, another thing is consider um consider the real implications that it has on your life so for me, I didn't want to give up work because it was a nice distraction. Work never really caused me stress. Um, and it was one of the few things that were keeping me sane. But I couldn't really do my job as effectively as I might have liked to do. I, I like to think I was at the time, but I probably wasn't. Um, and so if I had openly admitted to a larger group of people in that environment and said, look, I'm, I'm probably not as effective as I'd like to be because these things are happening, I would have had a lot more support from that front. And therefore it would have freed up some time and capacity for me to think on other fronts and to actually address my mental health. Um, for me, unfortunately, it got to a really critical stage where I got booked up for three months just to attend to my mental health, which is a situation I don't think anyone wants to be in. Um, I think another thing is start small. So I got to the stage where I couldn't try and out of bed. Um, getting groceries was like moving mountains. It just wasn't going to happen. Um, and so just dragging myself out of bed once a week to go see my therapist took all the effort in the world. But eventually what I agreed with my therapist was I would get out of bed every day and I'd make myself a cup of coffee. Some days I would get out of bed, um, make myself a cup of coffee and go sleep next to my bed. But I got out of bed. And it's those small things that start to change your development and your escape from um, the clutches of suicide. And I, I would say that that was probably the beginning of my journey to recovery, that very, very small step. Um, but it also felt like moving mountains to do that. So look at your energy levels, look at where you are and where you're coming from in your context. And then find what's appropriate for you. If you have the energy to do something bigger, great, do it. And 
hold yourself to account on it. Because as much as we like to think that, and I mean, this went through my mind a lot, no one cares, no one's gonna notice if I'm not around, it's gonna be better for everyone if I'm not around. Those types of thoughts were going on in my head constantly. But I also recognize that a lot of my suicidal thoughts actually resulted from um, a, a ripple effect. So three of the deaths that I experienced were suicide. Um, and that's what I was struggling with. Suddenly suicide became an option in my mind um, because I was quite frankly a statistic. I was one of the people that was close to someone ha who had committed suicide and um, it, essentially it's contagious. You start to think about it more regularly and you start to, to think about maybe it's an option for you. You start to get drawn down into depression and it's, it's just a downward spiral. So I'd say if you have been close to or are aware of someone who has considered or has unfortunately passed away from suicide before you do anything else you will struggle with this you will your mind will start to play with this as an idea so straight away start seeking help because you probably won't recognize how quickly it spirals downward um, and how quickly your thoughts start to turn dark so I would say if you have been exposed to a, to suicide in some way straight away get help because you're going to need it um but I, i'd also say that you know look at your individual circumstances it might not be suicide it might be depression it might be someone who's struggling with ill health and is slowly dragging you down because you feel like you need to be there as a support network but your energy levels are slowly getting more and more sapped so you have to take care of yourself before you can help anyone else. Um, and that goes back to reflecting on your energy levels, doing what you can, making it common knowledge so other people can in fact help you. And you know you can actually say yes to that help and yes to that support. I mentioned the fact that I was really good at saying I'm fine. One of the things that helped me was eventually going, yes, to every person who offered help, or offered to help, sorry, um, and then figuring out what they could help with later. Um, it, it, it might sound a little bit silly, but one of the, the kind of lifesavers for me was my neighbour bringing me bread and milk. Um, and it might seem really small and simple, but it, it's that that slowly helps. And I'd say if you're trying to to connect with someone who is really struggling. Connect with them through one, listening to what they're saying and following up with what they are actually saying. Um, don't make assumptions, don't necessarily start offering solutions, but listen to what they're actually saying and follow up on those conversations and drop in little nuggets to let people know that you actually were listening, you actually do care, you did hear what they were saying, especially if they, they're giving you very little, because that means they're probably going into isolation stage, they're probably closing off because they feel very vulnerable. Make sure you follow up on those tiny, tiny little 
responses that they've given you that are probably quite rude and dismissive. Um, but if you if you want to be there for someone, it's the regularity of contact and following up with them every day, every couple of days, even every week to say, I'm still here, I'm still listening. You, you haven't managed to get rid of me yet. Um, and I'm going to keep coming back because I am listening and I do care, even though you think I don't. Um, I'm, I'm going to keep showing you I do. And it, it's those things that kind of got me through it. There's one, the support that other people offered and the persistence that they offered. It was to recognize my energy levels and slowly making changes. It was making sure that I actually started accepting help, which was a massive step for me because I didn't want it. And quite frankly, I was quite ready to just check out. So shifting from it's not going to matter in a few days time because it, I won't be around for it to matter to going, OK, I'm going to accept bread and milk and help and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, and making a common knowledge, removing that stigma from it, removing um, my own vulnerabilities about it and going, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm properly insane right now. I can't get out of bed. I can't do anything. I'm a bit useless. And that's me. Welcome. <laughs> and it, it was, a, it takes a massive weight off of you and the paranoia seeps away. And then you're actually able to start addressing it as opposed to protecting it. So those were a few of the things that helped me. Wow. Um, thank you. Um, I think there's a lot for people to digest as you go through this as well. And, I, and I'm conscious of time as well, but it, you know, it, 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 there, there is a lot of what, I mean, inevitably a lot of what we, we you've just talked about, we've talked about before. And, and I, and I think it's really good advice for people that are struggling, but also people that are trying to help people that are struggling as well. Yeah. The two sides of that, you know, if you're struggling, make sure you accept help if you're trying to support someone who's struggling don't give up like basically pestering them to see how you can help yeah. make sure that you are uh in contact with them that you're communicating that you're you're checking in on a regular basis you're asking open questions you um i know you said to me and i think it was one of your other colleagues that came up with the with the phrase, which is asking a, a question. Because if you say, why are you stressed? You're putting people in on kind of a bit defensive and they can't necessarily articulate it. And, and why are you depressed, you know? And, and actually one thing everyone does have is something that's annoying them, something that's stressing them. And so I think you'll correct me if I get this wrong, but you know, what is causing you the most stress at the moment? Yeah. Open question. Or just what's causing you stress? Yeah. Because I mean, there are very few people who would say nothing. Yeah. I'm, I'm just fine and dandy. Most people would say, oh, you know, it's the, my friends or my family or the kids or work or something is causing them a bit of stress. And it, it just starts to evolve that conversation. And it's a really good, even starting plane and it, it tends not to put anyone on yeah. it's a wedge right it's that wedge or that foot in the door something that's basically you can start to now open the door a bit further and 
and mm. the wedge in deeper so that you're actually having a conversation and you can start to explore things. And it might not be the thing that's causing the most stress, but it's a stress and you can start mm. to talk about coping mechanisms for that. I do think that, that at the moment, um, with COVID and Corona, we talked about switching off and things like that. And I think that's really important with work-life balance, with colleagues to support each other, with managers and leaders to support their teams as well and set the standards, be, this, be the, the, the boilerplate standard for remote working, log off at a period of time and say, I'm, I'm done, you're all done. You know, don't send an email to your teams at 9 p.m. at night just because you're working and you've you've chosen to work or, or maybe you've needed to because there's a deadline and and you, you you know you wanted to get it right whatever it is don't send an email to your team at 9 p.m at night because you suddenly thought oh i just need this for my team because they'll expect they think you might want a response at 9 p.m at night or at 9 1 p.m at night or whatever it may be right and so they'll be working and you and, and you won't you, you might not have meant that but culturally i think we've all been there where we've seen that people go oh no you know if mike sends something then i'm going to have to respond really quickly whereas mike probably sent it because mike will otherwise forget about it so maybe i'll just write it down next time and remember to do it in the morning um and send the email out then delay your email delay your emails um but yeah <laughs> yeah because i mean you're absolutely right senior management tend to set the tone um, and if you're responding at all hours and sending emails at all hours, your team's going to endeavour to try to do the same. And it does set a tone. Um, so, albeit we all accountable to ourselves and we all need to be autonomous in making sure that we kind of find our own balance, I'd say for, yeah, certainly this was a conversation I had with my team when I used to manage back in Africa, is they had a very open conversation with me about sending emails at nine o'clock at night and saying, we're, we're going to try and respond. Um, and you setting that tone of always responding um, and always being essentially on and, and available at work. Mm. And it made it very difficult for them to keep up. So um, this time around going into COVID, I, I made a decision that I wasn't going to do that. I'd draft emails and things, but I'd send them the next morning as much as I possibly could, because otherwise you you are just kind of setting a bad precedent, so to speak, with your team, um, where they they can't have any downtime. Yeah, I, I think then you know to look after your mental health. There are companies like Sanctus that are looking at these mental health gyms. There's Mind. There's Movember. There's City Mental Health Alliance. There's a lot of companies, charities, partnerships that are out there to help provide that provide sort of tools, videos, whatever, you know, in your own time, you can go and look into that stuff. We talked about journaling being journaling being really important. Start with small things. I love the the making the bed. I, we, since we talked about I, I do tend to make my bed most days now once I've uh, uh, turfed the, the youngest son out of it, who's crawled in the night or, or, um, or whatever it might be. And there was a there was an admiral who there's like a one of these these again clickbait videos on leadership that you can get where um, there's a, an admiral doing a, a commencement speech in, in university and he and he said you know that was one of his opening things is like you've achieved something that day just make your bed you've achieved one thing yeah. now try and focus on the second thing to achieve in the day so start with small things things that are achievable and then build up from that um, that kind of 
pattern and routine i think becomes quite important particularly in lockdown like so you you have your sort of diary entries for logging off well maybe have your cup of coffee every morning if that's what if that is your pattern go for a jog every morning if that is your pattern do things that are going to help you physical exercise actually does benefit the mind it's well proven you know it, it, there are dopamine levels that get uh, that, that, that shoot up when you've actually done physical exercise so it's a good thing to kind of get your body pumping and get your heart moving and, and getting some of these neurotransmitters flowing and firing a lot better so it, it will make your brain stronger and healthier by just doing exercise and maybe i know we spoke about this where instead of spending an hour and a half each way commuting to london for work which is sort of my day maybe i need to spend an hour and a half each day exercising or well maybe half an hour i don't know but still you know, sometime exercising instead of that commuting time putting that to good use uh, or, or or feeding my soul by spending more time with the kids because they're working from home as well you know things that actually benefit me i know that you know, both of us are, are part of the bike shed motorcycle club and and they have a, a t-shirt and a hat which i'm not wearing the right one which is the motorcycle saved my life and i do think that for me i feel that motorcycles have been part of what's helped me to uh to recover but not so much the motorcycle and and swearing at motorcycles when they break down or going out for a nice ride to clear my head all those things are good and fun for the mind but actually the community mm. and the community that i referred to when i open up to friends you know some of those some of the people in that community have had really diverse lives lives and they're quite interesting and quite challenging so they've got a lot to share some very similar to the, the our own some very different to our own as well and it's been very interesting to, to to hear from them and to talk from them but also it's that community that we've been able to do a lot of virtual events and we've been able to do virtual meetups and virtual chats and kind of virtual interviews with people like charlie borman and others that are well known in the biking community and that gives us an opportunity to connect or just virtual beers and coffees and things like that so creating that community in some way it doesn't replace the human contact as i said before humans need to smell other humans to feel connected to feel intimate with each other and, and to build that trust and that relationship but actually it's better than nothing right? doing things like meditation you know medication for your body meditation for your mind so yoga meditation yoga is great because it's good for your mind and for your body and and again if i if i was talking to me two years ago and saying hey mike you're going to be doing yoga in like a year's time i'd be like yeah what no i'm not doing yoga that's for women right and and obviously unconscious bias or completely conscious bias complete rubbish right yoga is for everyone and anyone any age any shape any size and it will benefit you massively so i'd encourage everyone to go and try it there's loads of stuff on youtube you can look you can sign up for a lot of these free um free yoga courses as well uh, or you can pay for them which is worth doing as well maybe get something one-on-one -on -one because you're probably doing it wrong like i probably still do after a year of doing yoga but for me that's helped my body massively help my mind you know there's there generally most yoga sessions will have an element of meditation in there as well monitor yourself watch out for your own symptoms watch out for burnout talking to people ask people to keep an eye on you one of the things i did in uh at work and it wasn't work for me was not the cause of like yourself it wasn't the cause of my anxiety um or or my my issues and and so but i still nevertheless asked my assistant 
and my other my my people with my team said hey do me a favor keep an eye on me will you like if i start doing something that seems a bit odd can you just tell me um now people that know me might might realize that's probably a difficult thing to find uh you know what does what do you mean by odd but it but it was helpful to have people keeping an eye on you in the same way that i would keep an eye on them and i would keep an eye on my family and friends as well and just make sure that they're they're well and they're healthy um and so you've got these two sides to it you've got to keep an eye on yourself you've got to be honest with yourself you've got to monitor yourself you've got to keep an eye on your mental health you've got to you've got to understand that there are people to help people want to help you're not alone people care about you and it may not be your best friend it may not be your friends and family that are the ones that care about you the most it may actually be someone who is currently more of a stranger that will care about you because of the way they're wired and their natural empathy and this comes back to me and maybe this is where we could start to wrap up a little bit in here is the stigma of mental health and why do people not feel like they can talk about it why do people wait until it's too late to talk about it i i think because of your honesty nikita and because of others as well that i've spoken to i was able to intervene with myself before i got too far down the track before it was too late right and and i thank you for that and i thank everyone else that supported me to make sure i never got to a point where uh, i had done something silly um or something irreversible and so for me, I, I, I keep monitoring myself and checking in on myself now because I'm aware of it. But I, I didn't do that, right? And I, I think other people need to, need to do that. But the st biggest thing is I want to talk to people. I want to, I want to, I want to admit that, that I'm a problem. Hi, I'm Mike Butler. I've, I've had mental health issues and I'm on, I'm on the road to recovery. Why don't other people feel comfortable doing it still? Why don't you ask other people if they're okay? If someone like yourself, you know, if you, you were off for, for three months, with mental health issues, you know, how, how many people came to say to you at the end of that, hey, how are you, right? Whereas, uh, I, I may, sorry, I'll, I'll let you answer that question, right? So how many people came to ask you how you were after being off for three months? So I think it's, it's really interesting. I'm gonna answer your first question, which was why don't people talk about it? And I think generally it's, it's a circumstance where people think they have it under control. We like to think we in control. Um, and the reality is when we start losing control, we're pretty bad at admitting this, or at least I find most people are. Um, and so it's, it's only once it starts getting to that dire extreme state that we start going, actually there's something wrong here. Um, and we're not very good at, at reflecting on it much, much sooner. Unless, like you said, you're kind of more exposed to it and then you start actually going, well, actually, maybe this does have some credibility in my life as well. Maybe this is applicable in my life as well. And one of the things I, I chatted to someone about recently is all the people who have never attended a mental health session because they're going, oh, it's not for me. I don't need that. Those are generally the people that we should be going, okay, so we, we need to sit you down and have a, a chat about this because you really do need it because you're a prime case for putting it in the shelf, ignoring it and, and thinking it's all okay. So I think the first thing is to, to start having broader conversations about this so that you, we can talk about a broken head and address a broken head just like we would a broken leg. 
Um, and you can talk to anyone about a broken leg. So why wouldn't you talk to anyone about a broken head? Um, so I think that's the first thing is making it broader, the topic more accessible and getting those people who kind of go, it's not for me, I don't need to worry about it, um, to recognize that maybe it does have some application in their life as well. Um, in terms of answering your second question on how many people approached me after I came back from my, my time blocked off on long-term sick, um, I always felt that the roles were reversed. So I expected people to be quite curious um, and my, my general colleagues to be quite curious. Um, and they weren't. In fact, I had, you know, very few colleagues come up to me and say, you know, it's good to see you back. Why were you booked off? Or, or just generally, most people just stunned silence. They didn't say a word. They didn't engage me. They would engage me in relation to an activity or a work task or a project or a program or you know, a directive of some sort. But I think people find it really awkward to engage and say, look, I noticed you were gone for three months. Where, where'd you go? <laughs> what happened? Um, and so that was reversed in the sense that my general colleagues didn't say a word. But senior management, on the other hand, very different situation where they will connecting and going, hey, saw you were booked off, feel free to book a copy of my diary. And as a result of those conversations, I found out a lot about the senior management who generally had gone through some very traumatic experiences, had also gone through mental health issues themselves, had gone or were going through a journey of recovery. And I think Something I'd like to emphasize is people often think of someone who's gone through mental health as still slightly broken. Um, and they kind of put that in that a little bit fragile box. And I kind of, I'd like to dismiss that and turn that myth around and go, actually, the people who have gone through that have some experience that they can apply. They can recognize people breaking in their teams, people struggling in their teams far quicker and they know how to support and they have a good idea about how to start engaging those conversations and they don't let people uh, back away into the darkness and back away into their, their closed rooms and boxes because they're going, I'm, I'm not going to push, but I'm going to be here and I'm going to keep being here and I'm going to keep persisting and I'm going to keep letting you know that we're here to support you and I'm, I'm going to kind of make sure that you know that we're here if you need it. And to me, that speaks levels on leadership um, and I think the reality is that I would never wish that anyone had to go through what I went through but I can honestly say I'm a lot stronger for it and I can help a lot more people equipped with that understanding and experience and I wish people would start saying you know I'm I'm starting my journey because you're starting a journey to becoming a bigger, fuller, better person in understanding yourself, your triggers, what makes you succeed and fail, what makes you tick on a day-to-day -day basis. But it's also starting a journey on going, if, if you prepare to open and say it, 
you can help so many more people. And that's what this is about, right? That's why we're having this conversation. Let's start helping the bigger community. Let's start supporting the bigger community. And let's start opening up, up about these things and dismissing any perceived stigma there is, because there really shouldn't be one. You, you're growing as a person, so let's grow together and learn from each other's experience. Let's hope no one has to go through what I went through to get this experience. Let's hope people will listen to me and you and others to gain it through a much more seamless kind of systematic and, and, and kind of framework approach even. So that's my thoughts. I think that's a good place for us to wrap on the interview as well. It's um, very poignant and powerful messages there. So thank you very much for your honest, open dialogue and sharing everything. I, as you said, I hope people find this useful and it helps others who are struggling and it helps others who want to help people who are struggling or who want to help noticing who's struggling and then help. I will put some links at the end of the, of the uh, video and on the description for the video or the podcast, depending on how you're watching or listening to this, for things like Mind and, and Sanctus and Movember and other sort of other other and the, 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 the physical and the virtual journals. Um, but uh, thank you very much, Nikita, for spending your time this morning and um, hope to catch up with you soon. Absolutely. And thanks so much for having me, Mike. And, and thanks for always being so open with your experience as well, because um, it, it definitely is a two-way street. We always learn from each other. Thank you. Thank you.